Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast episode. I'm launching the podcast this week. Uh, It's uh, February. Uh, It's kind of the first full week of February. And uh, as I think about uh, the podcast that I've recorded already, it just seems fitting uh, that the first one that I post um, and share with all of you uh, be the first one I recorded. And so this is the first one I recorded with my dad. I've got two other podcasts already loaded on iTunes, um, episodes that you can tune into if you'd like. Uh, But I'll be posting one episode uh, per week uh, for the next a little while. Uh, So hope you enjoy this one. This is A3 with my dad, Larry. All right, we're here in Seattle, um, hanging out with family. I'm doing a master's class, so I'm here uh, with my dad, uh, Larry Coburn. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. It's great to be here with you and have some fun in Seattle together. Yeah, and so as I was kind of imagining these podcasts, I got uh, to be thinking about this one in particular, especially when we think about things that add value to your life, because um, you're a leadership coach. And so um, I guess my first question is, how, how do you go about coaching leaders? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And uh, the term coaching gets tossed out a lot and uh, used to mean a lot of different things. But it, uh, it, it's often confused with training or even mentoring. And I suppose that I've had a lot of experiences that I could tell people from. But as a coach, I, I, my goal is really to draw out from the people I'm coaching uh, things that are already in them but they're not really aware of. So kind of make the unconscious conscious. And that's about thinking. Yeah. So... Um at thinking, do you use a particular model or an approach to how you help them draw out the, the unconscious to make it more conscious? Yeah, uh, I, I do. I have a little four-part model of thinking that is, is uh, thinking is fine, but thinking really is useful if it leads to doing, mm. uh, which then again uh, then leads to more things you can think about. So thinking and doing in kind of a cycle and this four-part uh, uh, model has kind of evolved for me over the years, but uh, but uh, it it's in it it uh, is made up of maybe four questions, mm-hmm. and so uh, real quickly the the four questions are first uh, kind of what are you trying to do, or, or uh, often we talk about what's the gap if I'm trying to coach somebody what. What's the gap between where they are and where they want to be or what they want to accomplish that they haven't accomplished or a skill that they want to improve? So where are they and where do they want to improve to? That kind of thing. And then once you know what you're trying to do, then the questions uh, you spend most of the time on are trying to understand why that gap is there. So, so why aren't you where you want to be? And get at the causes. So that's the second question, why the gap is there. And then the third question is really about how to address it. Once we understand why it's there, then, okay, what are some actions we could take to address that gap and to make the improvements? And then the fourth question is the follow-up question. How well did our, our thinking, once we do something, how well did our thinking work? And uh, I generally call that check-adjust because it, that's, that's the, from the kind of problem-solving background that I have. 
So what, what's the gap? Why is the gap there? How are we going to address the gap? And how well did, did our plan work? And that four-part cycle is a, is a great uh, construct for managing a coaching relationship. Awesome. Uh, so as you th- think about that model and those four kind of questions, um, so how did, how did you arrive at this model? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, uh, you know, as you are aware from uh, being dragged around the world in my uh, career with Nike, um, the last bit of that career I spent uh, several years uh, learning about lean manufacturing. And we were over there in Vietnam and uh, we had a lean training center there with Nike. And I was introduced to all kinds of things. Um, value stream mapping and uh, 5S and material flow and um, problem solving methods like PDCA and eight step problem solving from Toyota. Uh, A lot of stuff coming from Toyota. And one of those things was a thing called uh, an A3. And uh, so I kept trying to synthesize all those different tools and methods and things together in my head. So many things to remember if they're all different. How could I? What was the glue that held them together? And that that sent me on kind of a journey um, to to understand what that would be. And uh, probably the thing that hit home the most was the A3 uh, uh, thing that we learned from Toyota's experience. And uh, if you if you look at my four questions, my four part model. You can kind of overlay it onto any of those lean, uh, lean tools, uh, and uh, and it fits. That's awesome. So uh, you're you're kind of using um, some of these lean lingo and things like that. Any uh, resource recommendations, books, or things that would be a good uh, if someone wants to dig into uh, some of that thinking and philosophy. Maybe they've never heard of lean manufacturing. Yeah. Um, where would you point them? Yeah, most of the books are, are uh, getting kind of older now, but um, there's uh, probably the, the book most people would look to to kind of give the overall kind of con- conceptual principles and things would be the Toyota Way, the Toyota Way by uh, Jeffrey Liker. And uh, it's 14 management principles of the Toyota Way. Um, it doesn't get into as much of the tools, but it does get through the, the kind of thinking about it, which is helpful. And then there's probably, you know, there's, there's other uh, resources from uh, um, like uh, Lean Production Simplified by Pascal Dennis. That's mm-hmm. a, probably good. Anything by Pascal Dennis uh, would probably be pretty my favorite books because uh, I like his writing style uh, about Lean. Um, he's written about a lot of the different lean tools. That's great. That's great. So uh, Pascal Dennis and uh, Jeffrey Liker's book. So those are, those are great. Um, so as we think about uh, this model and the way that you're thinking about these four questions, how is this different um, from other problem-solving methods out there? Yeah, that that's a great question. And I think there's probably a lot of consultants making a lot of money and, and – uh, in terms of differentiating a lot of different methods. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for me, uh, the first answer I would give is not really different than most logical problem solving approaches. Uh, what I like to say is, uh, without getting too geeky, um, you know, Toyota currently uh, uses and promotes an eight step 
methodical, logical problem solving. Um, and you can take my four questions and you can see uh, step one through three is really the first question. What's, mm. What are we trying to do? And uh, for, for it, it's to uh, clarify the problem, uh, break the problem down and set a target. Mm -hmm. That's their first three steps. And that's really just identifying what are we trying to do. And then the third one is to analyze, or their fourth step is to analyze for root cause. And that's my second thing. Why is that gap there? Why, mm. why is the situation the way it is? And then uh, their fifth and sixth is to develop countermeasures and see the countermeasures through. That's how are we going to address the gap? And then their seventh and eighth step is to evaluate the results. That's the check and standardize successful processes. So mm. that's the check and adjust and then, we're, and then they, the implied repeat. So uh, it also works for things like Six Sigma, which uh, typically would promote a problem solving of define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. But if, again, if you think about it, define is what are we trying to do and measure, define and measure, what are we trying to do? Analyze is asking mm -hmm. the why question. Uh, control is, uh, I, I think I'm doing that right. I'm not a Six Sigma person, yeah, so yeah. I don't have that one down as well. But anyway, that gets into how we're going to go about it. What actions are we going to take to control this situation and, uh, uh, and improve it? I think I have it backwards, improve it. And then... The, the check is to control it. Okay, we're monitoring and mm. we're, we're making little adjustments to make sure we control it. So anyway, define, measure, analyze, improve control. Uh, so a lot of the problem solving PDCA, which was a, a dimming quality thing, is the same kind of cycle. You, uh, you go through the plan, do, check, and adjust. It's essentially my four questions. You can superimpose it over, over really any of those. And that's, that's uh, why I evolved to this, because from it, you can always be more complicated. You mm. can always take these four questions and spend a lot of time in each of the four question areas uh, doing all kinds of things as, you, as needed. Mm. But the glue that holds it together is the, is the four-part movement to me. That's awesome. So you've already described a little bit of how you've kind of gotten to this model, but... Um, maybe a, a little bit of your own personal journey from um, like how have you grown uh, from just kind of problem solving to this uh, kind of four part thinking model uh, that you talked about at the beginning. Yeah, what's really interesting is uh, those years, so we spent five years in Vietnam, as you know, and uh, I was part of the uh, beginning of Nike's lean manufacturing effort there. We had some consultants who were ex-Toyota people who had come, uh, and the um, they were teaching us all the stuff. And again, I was naturally trying to uh, build some kind of a file to put it all in. Um, but one of my teachers was uh, a guy named David James, and uh, David uh, would come and uh, consult with us at the center from Kentucky. He would come out to Vietnam and he'd spend two or three weeks with us and then he would he would always do a closeout session with me to summarize. And uh, he started irritating me because otherwise we're friends, but anyway, he started irritating me because he would close every one of those sessions with, and I just have to tell you, I still don't understand what you're trying to do here. And I would be like, good grief, you know, you were part of the startup of this center, your, your consulting firm got a contract with Nike. You're part of setting it up. You uh, you got to know what we're 
why we're doing this, you know, what we're trying to do here. But I would go through again what we're trying to do. We're trying to teach people lean so they can go back into the factories and change their factories. And, uh, and he would be like, yeah, 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 okay, okay. I still just don't really know what you're trying to do here. And eventually, I, through the irritation, I began to realize he was trying to coach me with that question. What are you trying to do here? And we all acted like we knew, but it wasn't obvious. And that kind of led us to, well, maybe we should have a come together around what it is we're trying to do and come up with a, a purpose statement or a mission statement. And we should make that obvious to anybody who came to the center to learn. So they all were on the same, same page. And that led us to create a wall, basically, that uh, has been very, uh, that, that experience of doing that um, shaped a lot of my thinking in terms of the power of visualizing this pattern of thinking. So it's one thing to think this way in these four movements. It's another thing to make that very visible mm -hmm. so that other people can engage with it quickly. They can see your thinking. They can contribute to their thinking. And that's what we did with our management wall in the center. And basically it followed that four-part pattern. Um, and uh, so that really shaped me a lot. And then I had some other experiences with, uh, with some people who are kind of well-known lean uh, thought leaders, like John Shook, who was the first uh, American to be trained by Toyota in Japan. Uh, he uh, is now the president of the Lean Enterprise Institute, which is kind of the leading organization for lean thinkers. Uh, and he would come and visit our plant. We had done this uh, really fun... Um, Hijunka scheduling, that's the Japanese word for it. Uh, probably not pronouncing it right. But it, it was instead of scheduling production in big uh, runs of the same thing to minimize the number of times you have to change equipment over, uh, we were challenged to schedule production more like the, the customer's order uh, and uh, do a little bit of everything every day throughout the day meaning change, 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 change all the time. So we had to work on all the processes to get them down to zero change over time so they could be changed really quickly in real time. And we were quite proud of what we accomplished with shoe manufacturing was change the whole perspective of the business. John Shook came to visit. We took him out on the line. We expected him to be, go, wow, great job, guys. You know, you followed my instructions. Instead, he just looked at it and said, well, why did you do this? And we kind of stumbled around and said, well, because it's better. And why? Why is it better? And we're like, dude, you wrote the book on, on why this is better. So is it a test? What are you doing? But he was trying again with the question to challenge us that we didn't start with um, a, a clear understanding of what we were trying to do, except implement what his book said. Uh, which he told us was the worst of all reasons to do something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that was very, that began to sort of pick at me, like maybe it's not just uh, doing these uh, cool, better ways that have been, that can be proven to be more efficient, but it's about thinking, mm -hmm. trying to understand what it is you're really trying to accomplish. Why is that a problem? Why is that problem happening? And then, and then coming up with what is the ways that are out there that we know uh, that could help us address that. And we hadn't gone through that, so we had no really good answer for him as to why we did it, even though it was pretty cool to, to have done it. <laughs> yeah. 
so those are those are some of the experiences that began to get me to move beyond the tools and to try to think what's the thinking that um, and that that's added a tremendous value to my life that uh, uh, if you just stop and do even quickly that little four part thinking about things even just the first question what is the gap I'm trying to address a lot of times um, clarifies things mm -hmm. for, for for me myself and when I'm trying to work with other people it's awesome okay let's pause so we've talked a little bit about um, your your personal journey and we've kind of hit the high points but as I think about it I I've used um, kind of some of these a3 one page uh, visual thinking uh, to do some problem solving and some planning for my own ministry and my own life. Um, and yet there are times where I sit and talk with you and I realize, oh man, I, I'm not sure I got it. Um, and so maybe you can go into a little more detail uh, about each part of the model uh, for us because I, I think it helps sometimes just to, to get in and, and like you are talking about with the model of uh, being really clear what we're talking about here and what we're really going after. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and that it's interesting because uh, uh, again the the idea of you mentioned A three and some visual things, and I think the, the for me uh, those were still just sort of thrown at me by my teachers like they were separate tools. The Toyota uses a thing called A three. Um, and uh, it's kind of an interesting little history of that, if you want to hear that, that uh, it's called A3 because that's a reference to the international paper size A3. And for, for Americans, that may not be normal language. We don't normally talk about A4, A3, whatever paper, but it's like uh, um, the, uh, I forget now what it's called, poster sized or whatever. It's, uh, it's not poster size. it's the eight, eight and a half, or 11 by 17, I guess it's about equivalent to 11 by 17, A3. And Toyota dubbed their one-page reports. They used uh, this one-page report with, with a format, not exactly what gap, why the gap, my model kind of thing, but a, but a standard format to communicate. And um, this was years ago before all the modern technology. The, the biggest tech thing for communicating around the world was a fax machine. And A3 paper was the biggest paper you could put through a fax machine and hmm. send it around the world and get on one page. So this one idea of one page has a lot of uh, benefits to it, but the best benefit to it, in my view, is that it forces you to edit so you don't have hmm. to write everything that could be written about something. That's a book. Um, the problem with books is people have to turn the pages and keep turning the pages to get all the information. So... The idea of Toyota was summarize it on one page so that everybody could participate without flipping any pages or doing anything. Hmm. Um, and it forces you to edit down what's really important. I only have that much space. Um, but uh, then when we make them visual and they're one page, again, uh, if I'm tracking with you, that's great. But if I'm not tracking with you, whatever I'm, I can still see all the parts I'm looking at. Hmm. So if I'm still wondering if we're doing the right, if we're going after the right gap, after the right thing, but you're on to analyzing why on the paper and it's visual in front, I can still look at the, the previous parts, not on another piece of paper or behind hmm. or in somebody's head or we moved on from the agenda. Um, 
But if you go through the, the four parts, for me, that's what I started doing. Uh, you find out, uh, if you study A3, for example, as a tool, you find out that there's a lot of different formats that are used by lean organizations like Toyota for different situations. Problem solving, setting strategy, working on a project, uh, making a proposal. Those would all be done on one page at a place like Toyota, but they would each have a slightly different format. So which thing are you doing when you're trying to create something and then it leads you to a format? For me, I found it easier to generalize, so I generalized these four questions. And uh, I would start taking a piece of poster paper or a whiteboard and just making it into four sections, just drawing a cross and so that there's four quadrants. And then this is first quadrant is the what quadrant, what gap. What's the gap or the issue or the goal? What am I trying to accomplish? And often uh, we skip over that. So we get a group of people together and we say some vague thing that we're, we're trying to do. Um, and, you know, great, a great uh, uh, example of that, uh, in, in my experience outside of work, were things like uh, um, at church we had a lot of people doing greeting. And every once in a while, somebody would complain about, you know, the greeters don't seem to be doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is a clue. What is it they're supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, they often meant some specific thing, like, you know, a visitor walked by and, and they, none of the greeters talked to them, you know, didn't stop them and talk to them and welcome them. And, okay, so you think the purpose of the greeting is to make sure all visitors get contacted. That may be a good purpose for greeting ministry. Um, but often we're doing activities all with different ideas about what it is we're trying to accomplish through those mm -hmm. activities because we didn't do the first question. What's the gap or the objective or the goal? What is it we're trying to do? And it's a greeting ministry. Like We're trying to greet. <laughs> yeah. But that's not specific enough, right? So if we ha can have a discussion with everybody around what is it we're trying to do? And having people greet you as greet people as they come into the church or out in the foyer or at the door or wherever parking lot um, really is is an action to accomplish something. But we've skipped over really coming together around what that that, that is we're trying to do. So that first question in my coaching with leaders, I'm I'm often people are saying I need to get better. I want to become a better leader. What does that mean? What is a better leader to you? Mm. In what way are you not as good a leader as you want to be? Uh, what? How will you know if mm. you become a better leader? How will you know? And that, that all leads to something that we can point at and say, well, I want to um, you know, be more effective. Well, what does more effective mean? You know, how do you measure it? It all kind of comes down to that. Uh, do you want people to uh, fill out employee surveys that say you're a great person to work for? Do you want uh, sales to go up? Do you want costs to go down? Do you want uh, smiles on people's faces? What, what, what is it that would tell you you're a better leader? You know, do you want an uh, initiative that gets written up in, in a fast company magazine? You know, how are we going to measure whether you're better? So what is the gap? What is it we're trying to do? That's the first question. And often, um, we just skip over it. And, uh, 
so large that 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 idea of uh, what we are trying to do uh, that we usually have a tendency to assume or skip over and assume everybody knows what we're trying to do. Uh, but once we're clear, uh, we have a discussion in our mind or with a group of people, maybe visually, about what gap we're trying to address. Uh, then we know our it in in terms of our current situation and a vision for our future situation that's better, uh, we understand that gap. Um, then what's the next logical thing that you that your instinct tells you to do once you have that clarity? Well, I mean, I, I think we would want to try and figure out actions plan, you know, like how do I get from here to there? You know, how do I get from uh, where I am right now and to where I want to be? Yeah, and that's the natural thing that, that we do. And we think that's quite logical. And it is logical once you've identified a problem or a gap or a goal, some kind of objective that way, uh, to want to get busy addressing it. And everyone's got an idea about what we should do about it. Uh, but what we've found, what I've found is helpful, more helpful, is to pause that, uh, uh, hold ourselves back a little bit from leaping into action, Mm. And uh, and spend some time asking why, uh, a- analyzing the causes of the current situation. Why are we in the situation we're in, mm. and not the better situation that we envision? Uh, why is this problem happening if it's a problem? Uh, why are we um, um, messing up at that point, or uh, why are we not? Um, um, you know, if we're if our goal is to greet every visitor and we're not greeting every visitor, uh, or our goal is to make every visitor feel welcome, but every visitor doesn't feel welcome, do we know why? Uh, hmm. Why is that? Um, and until we really understand why, um, we're just guessing at what actions might, uh, might make the situation better. And we can try actions as long as we, that's the trial and error, we can do trial and error as long as we check to see if it works. Um, but uh, that why thinking is often uh, skipped over again because now we've spent all this time trying to get clear about what we're trying to do. Let's get busy doing it. Mm. And uh, the, why, the why analysis often consumes most of the uh, think time in this cycle, uh, but it doesn't have to. Some, sometimes the cause is, is obvious, or at least it seems obvious to us. Uh, or, uh, but again, if you're thinking about it, this with a group, uh, just writing down what you think the causes are, you know, the reasons Mm -hmm. why, um, can be clarifying. Like people who I don't, I don't think it's that at all. Uh, Well, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's that can lead us to, okay, well we have, uh, some varying perspectives. If we don't resolve those perspectives, come up with a, a common, uh, way forward, we may in fact be working at cross purposes. And again, that was my greeter thing. So once I realized that a lot of people were kind of complaining about the greeting ministry, I asked everybody who was involved in greeting what they thought the purpose was. The first question, what gap are we trying to solve? And I realized they all have different, uh, reasons. So their actions were reflecting, those different understandings of what problem we were trying to solve by having a greeting ministry. And some of them, then uh, a level below that, uh, were, really had some 
real strong opinions about why uh, those problems existed. Um, you know, so one, one person's reason for greeting was to make sure everybody got a bulletin. And uh, peel that back a little bit, they were analyzing if people don't pick up the bulletin, then they complain that they don't know what's going on. And that was their pet peeve. And the greeting ministry was a way to solve their, their pet peeve, which was that people complain they don't know what's going on when everything's been put in the bulletin. Um, so we'll shove a bulletin in their hands as they come into church, and then they won't be able to say that anymore. But as we began to talk about that problem a little bit, people, so the greeting ministry in your mind is here to make sure everybody, members primarily, are know what's going on. Are, in, are well informed about what's going on in the church. And uh, what's crazy as we begin to talk about that, it might not, it be, began to dawn on people, hmm, yeah, maybe the reason they're uninformed isn't because they didn't get a bulletin on Sunday. Because they're getting a bulletin shoved in their hand, but people still don't seem to have an awareness of what's going on. Well, they're not reading it, you know, or, or you know, whatever. So you begin to do this why thinking about the gap you're trying to resolve. And again, the primary problem at this point with the greeting ministry was that we didn't all have the same what in mind, what gap. But if you picked one of those gaps, then you could do some thinking and, and realize there's a lot of different ideas about why something is the case. And so then once, once we come together around, okay, this is our thinking about what, ca what is causing our current situation, we can move to the third mode, which is action. Mm. Then, okay, what are the actions or countermeasures when we're problem solving is the term we use. Uh, what are the actions that are going to help take us there? And uh, so I don't know, you know, just tracking with the little testing of, uh, of you as my uh, mentee. So once we've got an action plan, then, then we're we're pretty good, right? I mean, we've, we've thought about what we're trying to do. We've thought about why it's happening and we've come up with a plan to address it. So, you know, on to the next thing, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like the action step is kind of the, uh, the conclusion or the, um, the end to our thinking and, uh, about this particular problem. I mean, once we've solved it, if you will, um, we're, we're done, right? Well, and that's that's where a lot of us unconsciously go. Uh, I mean, when we say it out loud, then maybe some people listening can can kind of go, "Well, hang on." Yeah. Uh, which is what we want to do. But uh, when we're in the fray of it, we're often quite biased towards action. So now we've got an action plan, and people are scurrying away doing things, and we're off to the next problem. Uh, but that that sort of uh, is built on a foundation of assuming that we're we're really good at thinking mm. and that, that our thinking is really good and uh, you know it's it's always been um, valuable to me to sort of take the opposite position and sort of assume that well that's my best thinking uh, but I don't know what I don't know and so this cycle gives us a chance to add a fourth thing which is to check our results so once we have a plan and we're going along um, we have an opportunity to learn if we'll stay with this effort a little mm. bit longer. And uh, as we're taking those actions, we should have some way to check to see how effective those actions are being. So we thought that if we put a bulletin in everyone's hand, every member's hand when they come into church every Sunday, that we will improve 
the awareness of the congregation of what's going on. That's what we thought. And so we set these greeters out to do that, to put a bulletin in their hand. Is there some way that we can measure if people are more informed than they were before? Did we actually accomplish what we thought we would? And, uh, you know, when, if we do a little checking, even casual checking on that, uh, we, we were finding out that actually it's not working. Just because people have a bulletin in their hand doesn't make them read it. You know, you can, you can lead a church member to the bulletin, but you can't make them read it. So um, maybe there, we need a different solution. Uh, but if we don't ever do that check and follow up, uh, then when people complain about uh, not being informed, we go, well, we shove a bulletin in your hand every Sunday. So, you know, right. the fix is in. So <laughs> in some ways that, that check and adjust then sends us back into the cycle of asking and clarifying again what our gap is, what, our, uh, what we're trying to accomplish, and maybe um, even drives us even into the analyzation of saying, well, what's really going on here? Why is this happening? Um, and like you said, it, it challenges us to be a little more thoughtful in, even in our action step because we, we know we need to have a, a check and we're going to be checking the results of what we, we did. So yeah, it definitely sounds, um, like you really get into, uh, adding value to, uh, a person's life as they go through this, this process. Um, I guess for me, I, I'd just love to ask this question of you, like, how has this added value in your life? I mean, you're a leadership coach, uh, adding value, hopefully, to other people's lives, drawing out, like you said, the, the unconscious to the conscience um, through this model. But how has this uh, added value in your life particularly? Yeah, that, it's, uh, um, I think the reason it is uh, uh, a passion of mine um, to try to help other people come to the uh, understanding about this four-part sort of logical way of, of thinking and doing and thinking and doing and thinking and doing in, the, in a cycle um, it really does come from my own experience of it. So work-wise, um, I realized that a lot of things um, that I had done over my career were kind of done with missing pieces of this step. Probably the most common missing pieces uh, were the uh, why thinking. Mm. So we have, we're often uh, in business, people get, uh, you know, leaders and managers get very, directors, they get very good at framing up, here's what we are trying to do and putting it in measurable forms and things. But there's very little thinking about why. And it's just, okay, so get going and get that done. And so the why part, the second part, is off, was often skipped. And then the third part, um, the check to see if it's working. And, uh, and the assumption that just because that was our best thinking doesn't mean that it was perfect. And so a lot of times we sort of accomplished our goals, but, but not completely. And we never really had a check process uh, to see why. Um, and one, one really tangible thing that happened in, in Vietnam was the... Um, I was running the training program, so we had, I would have groups of students who were trying to take these lean manufacturing tools and live them out, do projects and, and experience them in real life with a working factory. So I met with the other management team that were working on various aspects of that factory facility, running that factory facility. And um, 
we were talking in one meeting about uh, the projects that were coming up uh, with the next batch of students. I had a group of projects, so I wanted to make sure all the people running the plant knew what projects we were going to do. We were trying to match those up with things they needed, uh, improvements that would benefit them to meet their goals. And uh, I, I explained we were going to do uh, incoming material Kanban, which is about how to have the, the plant do more of a pull of incoming material, raw material, rather than having raw material just come because it's Tuesday at 10 o'clock and that's when raw material comes to the floor, <laughs> but to pull it in as they were needing it. And uh, so we had a couple pages in the book, set that up, um, and I'm explaining that we're going to do that. And uh, finally someone said, hey, hang on, haven't we done that before? And uh, I said, yeah, but it's, if you go down there on the floor right now, it's what was done by the previous student group is, has fallen apart. And then we began to discuss it. It became clear this was like the sixth student group to uh, have that learning project in that same area, incoming raw material. And so finally someone said, have we, could we think about why, before we do this a seventh time, <laughs> thinking that's going to work this time, could we do a little thinking about why the first six times haven't been sustained? Like, mm -hmm. how, how come, I mean, it's, do we not know the method? Do we, what is the problem here? Because it looks like we're just going to do it a seventh, the, the countermeasure, basically, put it back in a seventh time without really thinking. And that's kind of that insanity definition that's ascribed to a lot of people, Einstein right. and others. Uh, insanity is uh, doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results right. but what I realized then was that we we had a I had a purpose which was for students to learn how to apply this method my purpose wasn't really about sustaining it for the long term it was just about can they show can they learn how to do this method this Kanban thing whole thing um, and uh, of course that was being accomplished but from the plants perspective it it hadn't been really set up with how is this benefiting the people who are still here when the students come the students go but the people working in the plant are there every day and they that was a student thing it wasn't their thing so as we began to apply this four-part thinking to it we we said hold it hold up time out we got to do this differently um, and it turned out that that led us to thinking about why don't the people who have to keep using this, keep using it after the students go away at mm -hmm. the end of their training. And uh, they didn't see the value in it, a lot of things like that. So that led us to a whole bunch of different activities rather than just doing the same textbook implementation uh, that we'd done six times before. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of things like that uh, began to impress on me. I think in my own personal life, um, uh, a lot of things we do in... Um, in the church, um, I, it, it began to dawn on me, we're not doing this thinking about it. We're not doing this thinking together. So maybe some individuals have hmm. some of this logic going on in their heads, but we don't ever make it out in the open so that we can all work together. And yet a big part of being a church is uh, instead of just individual missionaries somewhere, <laughs> um, a big part of being a church is being able to work together to advance the kingdom of God in various ways. And so if we can talk about what is our way that we could do it, we can use that first question, what's the gap we're trying to address? How are we trying to advance the kingdom of God? What does mm -hmm. that mean? How mm -hmm. would we know if we've done it? 
Um, and then why aren't we? You know, what's in our way? What's barriers or obstacles in our way? Why is that gap there? Uh, and then come up with our action plan. Okay, so we're going to have these classes, do these activities, and so forth. Uh, and then we rarely ever check hmm. uh, in, the, in, in the church. And so as a leader in the church, I began to realize, wow, I, I should be using this. I get a lot of benefit, even simple things like a greeting ministry, asking a few of these questions, not even doing a formal effort, made a lot of difference to bring people together and understand why maybe we were having some disharmony and that kind of thing. And then I think for me personally, um, you know, I continue to struggle with my fitness level and my, my weight and all those kinds of things. And I realized, well, a lot of times um, I'm not doing very well on that because I've set a goal that I don't care about very much. Hmm. So I set a goal for what the number is on the scale when I step on the scale. But at the end of the day, I don't really care that much about that number on the scale. Hmm. Um, I care about maybe what's implied by the number on that scale or how I look or I, I might, you know, my jeans don't fit anymore or something like that. And I, I, ha I began to search for ways to, to so I need a different measurement than just that number on the scale because I don't care enough about it to change my behavior. Hmm. But what, why do I want to change the number on the scale? Hmm. Um, and so I began to realize, well, when that number gets lower, I feel better. And uh, when I'm doing little things that I have to do, I feel better. So I started tracking not my weight, the number on the scale, but I began to rate every day with a simple uh, circle, triangle, or X. So circle means I felt good that day. Triangle means I had some parts of the day I didn't really feel very good. I had some struggle doing something. Uh, and an X meant... I felt lousy all day long from, from I can't hardly get out of bed, I can't hardly get my clothes on, I can't hardly do the, the most basic of tasks. So uh, I, my goal then became how many days in a month uh, are circles, how many are triangles, how many are X, and how can I improve that to get more to be circles? Can I move those Xs to be triangles? Can I move those triangles to be circles? Then when I began to get into the why, why, why don't I have as many circle days as I'd like, in a month, um, things like my eating habits and my exercising habits and things became causes that I'm going to have to do some countermeasure. I'm going to have to have a plan to exercise. I'm going to have to, um, you know, why, adjust what I'm eating, how much I'm eating. Um, but not to change the number on the scale that no one ever sees and I don't care about, but because I want to feel better. Mm -hmm. I want to, I days that I feel better. So, uh, again, I think the, um, and some of the things that I would do to try to address that may be working, may not be working. And the check adjust is really a good way to kind of keep um, the spirit alive. Because sometimes we do good with our plan and sometimes our plans work the way we want them to. And sometimes they kind of work, but kind of don't. Uh, and when they don't, then why I often found myself getting discouraged. Well, just forget it then. And, uh, and giving up. But if I recognize check adjust as a natural part of it, that whatever plan I have, it's probably not going to work perfectly, but I can learn mm -hmm. and get better and better and better at it, I have, I have more success. So this pattern kind of keeps coming back to me um, in a lot of things that I'm doing um, just to catch myself, like do I, when I'm getting engaged in doing something, do I really know why? 
what am I trying to accomplish? What's my purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, and do I do follow-up? And, uh, and just following all four parts has helped me, um, uh, just helped me think better and do better, which is the, which is the whole idea. That's awesome. So uh, as I think about adding value to uh, our lives, that's, that's the most important thing is to uh, know our purpose and what we're trying to do and, and have some way in which we, we follow up on how we're, how we're doing with that. Um, so thanks so much for sharing um, this model with us. And we look forward to, I'm sure, having you back on the, the podcast very, very soon. Um, any final words, parting words? Oh, just my my pleasure. I would love it. And uh, I think um, uh, it's good for us to, you know, be able to share these kinds of value-adding things with each other as uh, as we all want to improve and uh, and keep getting better. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I've got more stuff to talk about with um, the four modes or A3. Um, and we're going to be doing some blog posts on the four modes and usages of the four modes and I'm sure it will come up again in more podcast episodes if you uh, would like to touch base with uh, my dad Larry Coburn uh, in this episode's description you'll find his website and uh, he's also linked to on uh, my website valueaddconversations.com and uh, there's uh, more ways for you to get involved uh, with these conversations about four modes Um, you can shoot me an email ymlars at icloud.com and uh, hope that you'll join us next week uh, for a podcast uh, conversation with another student at Fuller Seminary Uh, and his name is Austin and so I'm looking forward to that conversation and at the end of the month there'll be a conversation with uh, my barber uh, Sean Grant and so uh, looking forward to those podcast episodes coming up Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.